Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of Building It Up with Bertelsmann. This is your host Ankur Variku and today I have a very dear friend and a star techie, Anand from Clevertap. Anand is the founder and CEO of Clevertap. Uh, he comes from the very famous Burp Mafia where uh, he was one of the founding members of Burp. Of course then got acquired by Infomedia. He then served as the CTO of Infomedia and in 2013 started Clevertap. It's a customer lifecycle management tool and engagement tool. It's done remarkably well. It got seed funded by Axel in 2014 and is now, in my opinion, destined to be one of the foremost P2B SaaS companies building out of India, but serving the entire world. Please welcome Anand. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, you come in from what is famously called the, the Burp Mafia. And, uh, and you guys built something fantastic. Uh, I always ask myself, what if Burp had actually stayed? I, could have been a big competition to the existing guys. But nonetheless, um, when you were thinking of the next journey after Burp and everything that happened in Infomedia and so on, was, uh, was B2B SaaS something on your mind? Did it come your way or was it unexpected? Walk us through that starting point. Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, I think when we started, there were not too many SaaS companies or the sector was not very hot. Mm. But we didn't uh, start out to enter a hot sector or to capitalize on the wave or anything of that sort, right? right? Uh, we started to solve a fundamental problem. Mm. As engineers, uh, we didn't really give too much uh, attention to the uh, total addressable market yeah. or you know where could we take this solution. We were just a bunch of uh, like three guys trying to build something very cool. Got it. Uh, so that was the starting point. So let's start with that journey. Now, b building a B2B SaaS company was not the cool thing. Building it from India was definitely not the cool thing. Uh, was it hard? to convince yourself, investors, customers, that you're an Indian company trying to build software um, and do a good job about marketing automation and customer lifecycle. Um, what were the main challenges just growing up? As we started exploring this problem domain, right, we figured out that a lot of the solutions back then mm. were dated. Mm. They were built for like five years, like the market of five years ago. What right. we noticed that there are two or three things that are happening. Number one, the phone is solving more and more use cases, mm. right? Number one. Number two, the amount of data that the device generates uh, is going to is growing exponentially. And the third, our attention spans are shrinking. So, can we utilize? Can I mean using these as hypotheses? Like you know, what what does the world need? Sure. Uh, all solutions they were kind of based on sampling. What you may. Uh, so we literally started this uh, inventing this database. Uh, the core technology of Clevertap uh, is a database that we've invented took us two and a half years to write, uh, that uh, does all of this stuff in real time. Mm. Uh, so the hard part was, uh, you know, not building the database. Mm. The hard part, as you said, like, you know, was convincing investors. Uh, they said, hey, you guys have lived and worked in the US. Why don't you go there and start your company? Uh, or even if you don't want to do that, at least go to Bangalore. Uh, why stay in Mumbai? Uh, so it was hard for us. Thankfully, our starting point, well, after, right after writing the database, uh, I called up... Uh, Ashish of Book My Show, sure. and I said, hey, I have something very cool to show you. Uh, and he was, uh, in fact, looking for something similar. Nice. So that was a good coincidence. You know, we tried out the product with him. Nice. Uh, he loved what he saw. Yeah. And he, in fact, made the introduction to Axel. Yeah. So in that sense, we didn't have to struggle too hard to find an investor. Sure. Because if you have a warm intro from someone who's used the product, yeah. not because they know me, but because the product works for them, that worked for us. That worked. That really worked. And and then for the longest time, you were centered on India and uh, you built the product for India, did a fantastic job. Um, was that then 
hard or was an international play something that you always thought you would get into but you were waiting for the right time how did that pan out yeah so uh, this is my favorite analogy that we are not in the footfall market right i don't have to find the most attractive spot in the mall to to get uh, you know people to come into my store i'm building a global product yeah. so a global outlook yeah. uh, happened to be made in mumbai in india but uh, it could have been anywhere else in the world right uh, you're competing globally with other software companies and that was the point of time where we saw an atlassian being made out of australia and so on and so forth right so not everything happened in the valley <clears throat> that one gave us confidence uh, two we said let's build for the global markets mm. why sell only to india so the starting point was i'll come sure. to that in a second yeah. why build only for india when you know the world is a lot bigger than that mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and so that was the starting point uh, investors thankfully like you know did not have too much of an objection you know the larger the tam the more happy they get so that was the got it And 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 the initial strategy, if I want to get deeper into it, did you follow more of a quote unquote SME, small ticket size, large volume model, or did you go for the enterprises, the the slower sales cycle, but the large ticket sizes? And how does an entrepreneur who's got PMF or a semblance of it mm-hmm. begin to think of it? Because at least my understanding is that these two are very different yes. approaches. Yes. Thus, will require a very different product approach, sales approach, so on. So, what did you guys decide? and what would you recommend to any entrepreneurs at that stage correct so before i talk about the selling and you know who do you sell to okay. i have to go back a little bit and tell you the product right sure. so we wrote this database yeah. and uh, thankfully while writing the database we got our series seed from axel mm-hmm. uh, we still didn't have the product we had some semblance of it so uh, you can go to the command line and you can type a query and you'll get the results like as numbers got it and that's what we showed to axel we showed, sold to them the concept of what we were building sure. so that was good uh, and from there on again as a startup you don't have too much confidence right especially yeah. b2b startup yeah. you start selling or you start showing the product to whoever cares to see it yeah. so it started with a few startup founders i knew and i said like, hey this is what i'm working on these days you know if you care we will give it to you for free uh, and the free was not because we lacked confidence the free was because we did not think that we had the full product uh, and the full product for us was what we were building right yes. the the analytics or the insights part yeah. the segmentation part and the engagement part uh, so 2014 is we when we got series c mm-hmm. 20, 2015 is when we got our series a mm-hmm. we were still not monetizing the product at series a so it's a good or a bad thing i do not know no, well. but we were not doing that that was honest truth uh, and that's when uh, again we were giving out the product mm-hmm. right uh, advanced customer support was anand and sunil we would go out meet people go, do the event design for them uh, get the sdk integrated and yeah. so and so forth right uh, we had no plans of how much should we charge for it and so on and so forth right so when we first started monetizing mm. uh, that was in uh, march of uh, sorry may of 2016 wow first time it was 250 dollars a month Uh, so we start and of course like highly discount this 250 was the list price we were giving it away for free or highly discounted uh, i have p- signed up people that you know would give me 10 dollars a month uh, back in those days yeah uh, just because we wanted to kind of get some logos get some you know put some names on the website and so on so uh, we started sme uh-huh. right because at 250 dollars you are not going to attract <clears throat> you know the large enterprises yeah. Uh, but very quickly we realized in less than one year of our journey mm-hmm. that we had started climbing up the ranks as we added more to the product as we uh, so the 250 dollars happened when we when internally we thought we had mvp got it 
uh, right after MVP, we added like more uh, things to the product, mm-hmm. and we started attracting uh, a larger, larger enterprises mm-hmm. through purely word of mouth. Number one, uh, to larger enterprises, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, adding more things to the product sure. uh, helped mm-hmm. us go enterprise. So we didn't start out with enterprise; we started out with a core thesis of being a WordPress or sure. a, or a Google Analytics, right? Okay, let's give away the product for free or for very cheap. Yeah. And we will make our money from value-added services on top. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, that plan did not pan out. <laughs> and uh, in less than 18 months of our first transaction, uh, we were very much into the enterprise realm. Wow. Very nice. So, fascinating journey. So, in 2014, <laughs> you raise and then you're almost zero revenue for, for a year and a half too. And then you strike your first monetization bid, Correct. which is SME. 15, we raised Series A also. So 14 yeah. was Seed. Wow. So 15 14, was Series A. Eight, series uh, that's a when Sequoia came in. And then... And uh, no money to show for, no revenue to show for. Absolutely that's nothing. That's a brilliant story, man. <laughs> that is a brilliant story. So, and, and, and I love the patience of it. Like, uh, I don't know how many entrepreneurs will, will go through that pressure. I don't even know. You, you make it sound very easy. But for, for someone outside who is in that, what what is it that was going inside? Like were you were you convinced that this product is the right product, or or what kept you going? So for clever tab, we needed that minimum viable, and minimum viable took us three years, right, uh, until twenty sixteen. Yeah. Uh, so we needed that minimum stuff to happen in the product. Uh, once we had that, uh, again we were you know because at some point of time you gotta like switch your hat, like mm-hmm. say okay from being an engineer, I need to think out the website pricing, and yeah. pricing is a very hairy subject, yeah, right? It's you don't know how much to price your product at number one. You don't know how to what is the unit of measure uh, through which you will sell, and uh, will you have different pricing for different markets? Will it price the same? Will you put your hands deep in someone's pocket and see if it's an enterprise? I'll charge <laughs> millions of dollars. Yeah. The startup, like you know, I'll give it away for free. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, these are hard decisions. Sure. So we would never kind of. There was never a moment like no Monday we woke up and said today we're going to discuss pricing because we were very happy as engineers are building those features out like <laughs> yeah. so we're riding our own internal mini wave Correct. of uh, feature yeah. uh, one feature after, after the other uh, until one of the board members told us that hey uh, you can there's no pressure to monetize so that was a good news for us sure. uh, you can monetize whenever you want to monetize right but the lessons that you will learn from monetizing the product right you will not, not learn until you monetize the product so, true. so while you today can give away the product for free and maybe all of them are your friends etc uh, or people that know you, yeah. right? Uh, that the, the you know the money part of that will make it solid, yes. right? Yes. Voting with money will bring out all their concerns out SLA, vendor viability, Correct. enterprise contract, security, all of that stuff. Yeah. So the lessons are for you to learn. So decide whenever you want to right. uh, decide. That's a that's a very very sound advice. I'm glad you got that. Okay, and I must stress upon uh, pricing. You you mentioned this. It, it almost seems like Half of the labor is is building the product in in B two B SaaS, but uh, half is actually pricing it and pricing yes. it right. Yes, gets even tougher when you are both enterprise and SME. Gets even tougher when you're international. Do you localize pricing and so on and so forth? So, um, when did you know that this is the right price? How was the two fifty dollar even a price in your head, or was it just to dekhte hain kahan jata hain open niche and so on? Um, that's question one. And two is when you went international, did you start thinking of pricing? Locally, uh, if yes, how? Walk us through that, please. So there were three prices that went up on the website, right? Two fifty dollars, and I think one of the prices I don't remember the intermediate. Maybe it was three nine nine. Sure. 
and the last one was a thousand dollars all you can eat like it's an unlimited plan we had right. no idea about unit economics we had no idea about how much uh, the uh, you know what aws hosting provider would cost us and so you know it was just like we were completely uh, i don't know what we were thinking but we we had to pick a starting point sure. right so from the thin air we got this 50 dollars uh, so anyway from that point on we went through a few pricing revisions mm -hmm. uh, Again, the market would price the product based on monthly active users, mm -hmm. uh, MAUs. Yeah. We were trying to price it on the amount of data we uh, hold for you. Sorry. So there are two, three uh, different thought processes here, right? Number one is, do you price the product on the value that you are providing? Got it. So forget how much it cost me. Sure. I'm going to provide you value and I'll take a top, like a skim a little bit from the top of the value and that's my, you know, that's what you pay me. Got it. That's one. But... Uh, that is hard if you can if you cannot prove prove the value if yeah. you, they cannot attribute that to you Absolutely. it's very hard right yeah. again early days you know people won't give you credit like you know you are a tool provider okay. uh, the second way is monthly active users that's what everyone in the market did okay, okay. and and did this also change when you went international did, did every market have a different price till the time you had the pricing page or was Correct. it like no even now like you know we kind of offer the same price okay. across whether no matter what where you are in the world uh, is that what you would recommend as well? No, not really. But, you know, it's very hard because most of my early clients also had international presence and they uh -huh. do not know, like, you know, what to use yeah. as a measure. Got it. Uh, so we kept it simple mm -hmm. uh, because if it, if we can't understand pricing, it's very hard for us to explain it to an enterprise. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, if uh, for us it has worked so far, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, we might require a few more iterations on pricing. Sure. So earlier it was one product you buy. Either buy the whole thing or you don't, right? Yeah. We've broken that down into packs. So there's a discover pack, there's an optimized pack, there's an engage plus, there's a corporate pack for um, RBAC and uh, single sign-on and all, that, all those things. Got it. Okay. Uh, How does one begin to think of unit economics at scale? And so starting up, possibly you don't care about it because there's this lump sum production cost that has to be borne. But once you get into the rhythm of selling, mm -hmm. how should one as an entrepreneur in B2B SaaS think of unit economics? Well, uh, uh, SaaS is one of the most mature fields, I would say, yeah. right? Uh, especially now with all the IPOs that have happened in the last few months. Uh, so the unit economics for a SaaS business is uh, laid to bear for anyone that wants to take a look at it, right? It. Um, and uh, it, it's a fantastic business, right? Because every month someone decides whether they're gonna pay you yeah. or send you a notice to churn away, yeah. right? So you, be, you have to always be on your toes yeah. to make sure that your product is sticky with the customer. Yeah and they continue to pay. The longer it happens, the better your unit economic looks, the better your LTV to CAC looks, you know, all of that, all of those numbers add yeah, up then in yeah, the end. Yeah. And, and in, uh, in that piece, setting up the entire sales org becomes a very important determinant. Yes. Um, and yeah. I've seen models, like there's a, there's a telesales model who feel that I could sell over the phone. You rightly pointed out, enterprise still doesn't buy into that process at all. Correct. It's very hands-on, it's very babysitting mode. Um, that begs the question, do you have to always be close to the customer geographically? Do you have to have a sales outfit there? What have been your learnings from setting up a sales org, yeah. particularly a company based out of India selling globally? So in the early days, it was me and one other person who we got from Microsoft, yeah. I call Kuldeep, uh, on Skype all day. We would not take flights to Bangalore when sure. we were selling in India only. Sure. We'd not go to Southeast Asia. We'd be on Skype all day giving product demos and just being happy if someone said, hey, this looks great. Uh, how hard is the integration, right? How many right. days will it take? Sure. So we started from that point of time and sales was the last organization that we have set up in the company. Mm. 
literally. So a lot of the sales organization kind of was formed into place starting last year. Wow. In 2018, mid-2018, we started getting professionals. Okay. So we first augmented the India team. Mm -hmm. We set it up fully with, you know, South India and the rest of the India run from uh, Bombay. Sure. Uh, then we set up the US team. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you look at today, Yes, you're right. Like you have to be close to your customer. You have to be in the same time zone. You have to speak the same language. Sure. So we have got a, a nicely uh, geographically distributed team. Mm. So super close to the customer. And and you picked up in building that sales org um, locals who would come in with that sales expertise, or yes. did you ship Indians? No, no, we there? did not. No, no, no one got shipped from India. Got it. It's about understanding the region's requirements. Sure. So to a US guy. It's very hard to, you know, impress upon like, you know, why is WhatsApp so important in this part of the world? And similarly, if I was to go sell to the US, yeah. here no one gives a shit about email, man, yeah. to be honest, right? Okay. No one cares how good your email editor is. Like we all are all about push notifications, scale. Yeah. In the US, email is still it's a big deal. Important. In Europe, they're still talking about quality of your email editor, deliverability of email. They don't care about scale. So that's Got why that, that cultural sensitivity from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, speaking local language sometimes, yeah. being in the same time zone as opposed right. to, oh, you want to meet me today? Let me take a flight with the, you know, Indians, we don't, uh, we need a visa and all that yeah. stuff. So let me take, you know, find a visa and show yeah. up. Got it. Got it. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And uh, if you, if you knew what you know today, would you have started your professional sales org earlier? I don't know. Uh, or would you give that advice to people, Kier, once the product is there? Possibly don't try and sell it on your own because maybe... Here is my theory, okay? okay. And I underline the word theory. Yeah. Uh, you can't scale down, mm. right? The fun that you had as a five-people company, you can't have with a 50-people company, sure. right? And once you're a 50-people company, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of meetings. You know, five people just, if they think of something in the morning, it gets done by the evening, right? It gets completed, completed and shipped. Uh, it's very hard to scale down. Yeah. Unless you have a, you know, like, unless it's a bad market or yeah. your investors kind of not very sure. happy with you and all that right sure. but once you scaled up so take your time don't don't be in a rush like you know as kids we were told like you know why, what's the big rush in growing up like you know <laughs> just enjoy your childhood yeah. and we couldn't understand that right, right. what did that mean yeah. uh, so i think as startups also you got to enjoy every part of the journey and there are some lessons that are yours to learn and maybe not having a sales team early on was our lesson to learn right. the hard way yeah. right there are enough medium posts there are enough smart people we can go to board members yeah other SaaS entrepreneurs like yeah. who could we could have gone and taken advice and they would have said hey build your sales team yeah. but we deliberately did not go to any of those and we did try and find our own path the uh, the other piece is as, as you were growing up there was also this uh, I shouldn't say the rush but there were enough very high quality B2B startups being built in India and and we have seen some great success come out and so on did you ever uh, try and ride on their quote-unquote success or their distribution or their sales channels is there some sort of a congenial collaborative approach key it's not the same wallet share so if you're trying to sell something in a completely different domain i'm in a different domain maybe we can partner together and go and speak to the same guy does it happen in India? no we did not do that okay uh, and that's one of the lessons i would have advised anyone yeah to start a bit early uh, we've just got our partnership guys one month old into the company uh, we never had a partnership and alliances person uh, we never thought that we could co-sell with anyone because the way we sell was very different. Mm -hmm. uh, we used a lot of hustle in the early days. Sure. And hustle is to get through the door uh, once and then the product takes over. 
partnerships help i think i've seen force multiplier happening with partnerships yeah. so now i think things have gotten a lot more we watch the ratios a lot more closely mm-hmm. we and with partnerships also what this person is doing is he's brought out all the things that a partner will there's a given ask in the partner and and so on and so forth you were in my opinion in a in a market that was crowded because mm-hmm. marketing is like the first default of software for any large company uh, and you've managed to create a very strong niche people value you for what you do there's a very strong sentiment that I, at least i can echo being a, on the other side of the table um was it purely good product and specking and customer awareness that got you to this point or did you have to play some battles or some moves to win over in what is a largely crowded market correct from the beginning hmm. i always thought and my thought has changed a little bit now but from the beginning was it is always about the product okay. if you build it they will come marketing came in uh, 2 years ago hmm. for us it was a happen chance the head of marketing wanted to move back from the us uh, i think what we have realized is there might be races that we may not even be participating in hmm. and you need to be present in all the races to be able to know whether you're going to win it or lose it right, right? and you learn from both yeah. you learn from your wins you learn from your losses yeah. but you need to be able to participate to know whether you won or lost right so hence marketing comes in hence sales comes in like you know sales so today we have a phenomenal motion we have uh you know content pieces we write white papers we we participate in events uh, before that it was just me hustling with a delegate pass trying to you know get my uh, voice heard in the crowd but now we have a proper booth so we've gone legit yeah uh, in in event uh, so th- these are the changes like you know last 18 to 24 months uh, we now measure the mql to sql ratio uh, we measure the sql to opportunity opportunity to close we have a reason for wins and losses Uh, and we are now setting up sales ops etc to just like mine through a lot of the data that we internally generate and come up with these nuggets the other piece which is possibly the most important metric that everyone frantically tracks in b2b saas is a churn yes and uh, it's always this thing we know we have to do but we don't know how much and how far uh, so one is uh, is this true is churn really that important and if yes is there any scientific way of getting to what is the right churn correct so i think two the two metrics that you keep an eye on uh, churn is one of them the other being gross margin yeah. uh, so keep an eye on gross margin this is what we've learned in the last 6 years and keep an eye on churn uh, the reasons of churn can be several mm-hmm. right but you got to find out why are people churning away mm-hmm. thankfully in our case a lot of the churn happens because these startups could not raise their next round or they're dying uh, we have not lost a single enterprise customer in the last 3 years of monetizing the product so that shows that every that it's a fairly sticky product we do have churn but it's for different reasons not because the product lacked depth or we it was a laggy product or a buggy product my bugs bugs are you I mean they're there but that's not the reason people churn away uh i think anything more than a percent of churn hmm. is something you could be very hawk eyed about and you have to ob- match it wow right so anything more than that you are in deep trouble really so try to keep it as low as possible talk to your customers find out what you know what are they happy about uh, instrument your own dashboard like you know learn from your own data right like figure out what parts of the product people are using what are they not using and just learn from that and is it is it advisable to be to be tracking this on a monthly quarterly basis or map it to your pricing um, subscription how does that yeah so we track it at a board level on a monthly level, on a on a monthly cadence uh, internally we do it every week every week yeah wow 
Okay. And let's say if there is, have you got to a point where you can predict churn or you are reacting to it? We are largely today reacting to it. Okay. But we know that whenever someone churns, I mean, startups die, they die, right? Sure. Or someone like, you know, when we increase prices, yeah. right? Through price discovery, all of that right. stuff, someone goes away, they've gone away. But we take that feedback into account, mm. into uh, pricing or product building. Fantastic, man. On that note, thank you so much for being part of Building It Up with Balsasman. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Uncle. All the best for everything that you're doing and more. Thank you very much. I'll take all your wishes. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you. With this, we come to the end of another episode of Building It Up with Bertelsmann. This season, as you would have figured, we're also doing a video podcast, which is available on Facebook, YouTube, in addition to all our audio podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Savan. Do subscribe. Do wait for the next episodes coming in. This is your host, Uncle Variku, signing off. Until the next episode, see you all. <laughs> <laughs>